Evening team. Hi, everybody. There we are. You're all right. Oh, look, you are all here. Hey, um, we're stu- studying the topic of laziness tonight, and uh, we announced this ahead of time. Uh, we told you at the beginning of the series uh, what we were going to be looking at along the way. So we've done work, marriage, speech, guidance. Last week we did wealth. This week we're talking about laziness. And then we've got sexual purity next week and justice the week after. I want an honest show of hands here. When we told you this at the beginning of the term, who have you had your eye on this week as something where you were expecting to feel especially guilty? Anybody? It was just me. Few people. All right, I I think a few of you are just being a bit shy. This is probably a topic I think we need to hear about especially. So uh, why don't I pray, ask for God's help, uh, and then we'll have a think about this idea of laziness. Let's pray together. Our great God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, that you give it to us, uh, that we have such free access to it, that we get to hear you speaking to us every time it's read, and that you speak with such clarity. God, thank you so much that you tell us what we need to hear, not necessarily what we want to hear. And so God, please give us grace tonight as we hear some hard words from Proverbs. Give us the grace and the ability to be able to see ourselves in your word, see ourselves rightly, and to understand our failures. But also, God, please help us to have the eyes to see our Saviour Jesus, to see his magnificence, his surpassing worth. God, we pray that you would not let us leave here today are people who are unaffected and unmoved by the magnificence of our Saviour. And so we ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we are talking about the topic of laziness Tonight And the book of Proverbs, as we've just had read for us, has a word for the lazy person. In Proverbs, the lazy person is called the sluggard. Not a very appealing name to be called a sluggard. I don't know if you've ever been called that. Uh, That word sluggard only comes up in Proverbs. It's unique to the book of Proverbs. You won't find it anywhere else in your Bible. And it's an interesting word because it actually comes from uh, the Hebrew word meaning slack. Slack. Okay, so imagine like a, a bow and arrow, an archer firing his bow. If the line on his bow is not tight enough, it's slack and it's, it's useless. It won't do anything. It doesn't accomplish the purpose for which it was created. That's where we get the word that means sluggard. And so the sluggard in the book of Proverbs, as we're going to see tonight, is somebody who is habitually lazy, habitually inactive, habitually slack. Now, Uh, Before we get into thinking about what this person looks like and how we should see ourselves in this person, I need to sort of uh, put a bit of a caveat here. Uh, There are plenty of people in our church and in this world who are inactive for good reason. Okay, there are plenty of people who have medical reasons why they are not as active as they would like to be. And I want to be very clear, if that's you here tonight and you are feeling the burden of that tonight, I want you to know that the book of Proverbs is not talking about you here. It is not saying that you are a sluggard if you have good reason to be inactive for health reasons or for whatever else. Uh, I also want to say that the book of Proverbs here is not going to come down on you if you're somebody who likes a bit of rest and relaxation, a bit of R&R. Okay? The Bible as a whole is pr- very pro-rest. It says that rest is important. It's an important part of who God created us to be. Uh, we have to take rest. Saying that uh, we're talking about sluggards tonight, uh, this is not somebody who just likes rest. This is somebody who has, has taken rest and made it the central part of their life. Uh, the sluggard sees every day as a Sabbath day, right? Uh, the sluggard has become an expert at taking a break. The whole point, in fact, of the sluggard's life, as we're going to see in Proverbs, is that they want to minimize responsibility and maximize leisure. 
That's the equation going on in their mind at all hours of the day. How do I minimize responsibility and maximize leisure? And so the wisdom, I think, that we get from Proverbs on this topic is especially helpful for us in this culture that we live in today. Because wouldn't you agree that our culture is one that prizes rest and relaxation and leisure as just about the highest things that you can attain to in life? Wouldn't you agree that most people structure their lives in such a way that they are working towards that goal of maximizing leisure and minimizing responsibility? That's how most people set up their lives, isn't it? The, um, most people want to be able to justify being idle. I think when you boil it all down, they want to get to that point in life where there's nothing in their way of doing nothing. That's, that's the goal. That's where we're all heading, right? Uh, in uh, 2007, uh, a guy called Tim Ferriss published a book called The 4-Hour Work Week. Maybe you've heard of the book. Maybe you've read the book. No judgment if you have. I'm about to come down on it, though. Uh, this is what the author Tim Ferriss says about this book. He says, Forget the old concept of retirement and the rest of the deferred life plan. There's no need to wait and every reason not to. Whether your dream is escaping the rat race, high-end world travel, monthly five-figure income with zero management, or just living more and working less, this book is the blueprint. You can have it all, really. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But the, the basic premise of this book is that you've got to work to structure your life in such a way that you don't work more than four hours a week. You minimise responsibility, you maximise leisure. And that is an appealing prospect, isn't it? Who of us in our right minds would say that that doesn't sound good, that we would take that deal if we could get our hands on it? I think most of us would. And, and this appeals to a lot of people. This book has sold over one and a half million copies. It spent over four years on the New York Times bestseller list. This idea has struck a chord with people in our culture, hasn't it? I mean, you might have heard some people say that we live in a culture of idol worshippers. You heard them say that? And they don't mean I-D-O-L, like gold statues that we bow down to. No, our culture as idol worshippers, we worship I-D-L-E, being idol. That's, that's the air that we breathe in Australia in 2018. And so it's, it's not surprising, I think, that this, this question of laziness, this struggle to, to be productive and not be lazy, that that's something that you and I need to to hear from God's word about. Uh, in the lead up to this sermon, as I've been preparing and talking with people over the course of this term, I haven't talked to a single person in our church who has not said that this is something they struggle with. It, pulling the curtain back here, Christians struggle with laziness. Can we just admit that right off the bat? Uh, Christians feel guilt about being lazy. Christians don't necessarily know what to do with their laziness. That's a struggle that a lot of us face. So let's be real about it as we, as we hear the wisdom of Proverbs tonight. We need to hear this. And so what are we going to do tonight? We're going to meet the sluggard, first of all. We're going to get introduced to this character, see what this character is like, and that might act as a bit of a mirror into our lives. And then after that, we're going to try and diagnose the sluggard and see how we might be able to, to help fix their problems. And so let's take a look at this sluggard. What is this sluggard like? Well, we're going to see there in chapter six, uh, 26 uh, four characteristics of the sluggard. The first one is that the sluggard is hinged to his bed. 26 verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Now, as you meet the, the sluggard throughout the book of Proverbs, the uh, consistent picture is that he doesn't do a lot. <laughs> but the one thing that he does a lot of is sleeping. Uh, right? <laughs> he is hinged to his bed. I enjoy a good sleep as much as the next person. And 
to be frank, I wish that my kids were a little bit more hinged to their beds than they are currently. But the, pro- the, the sluggard in Proverbs, he has taken it to a whole new height, right? You ever want to go and find the sluggard, you wonder where he is? Just walk into his bedroom. doesn't matter what hour of the day it is, 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 3 p.m., he's going to be there, hinged to his bed, rocking back and forth, ever moving but never making progress. That's the sluggard. They're somebody who literally prefers to close their eyes to the responsibilities of the day in front of them. They prefer to block it out, they refuse to face the world, and they prefer instead to live literally in a dreamland. That's the sluggard. First characteristic. The second one, the sluggard is a master of excuses. Uh, chapter 26, 13, they avoid any reason to come up to a, uh, they come up with any reason to avoid their responsibilities. 26, 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Now, you can imagine the scene here, can't you? Uh, the sluggard's family have somehow managed to pry the sluggard out of bed. They got the crowbar and they lifted him off the bed. He's up on his feet. They want him to do something productive with his day. And here he comes out with his excuses about, oh, no, why, why today's just going to be a write-off. No, no I, I don't think I can do any work today. I'm starting to feel a bit sick. No, today is not a good day to go and gather the harvest. Don't you see those storm clouds on the horizon over there? No, look, I, I don't think uh, that today is a good day for me to go job-seeking because there's a lion outside and it'll devour me if I go out there, right? Anything they can think of to avoid work. Uh, I had a, a uni student say to me a little while ago, I think they were being serious, but you can be the judge. I had a uni student who said to me that they don't procrastinate. They choose to put off their work for as long as possible because then by the time that they engage in it, they will be older and therefore wiser. It's a good excuse, isn't it? Uni students are masters at making excuses. And so if you're a uni student here tonight, maybe you're beginning to see yourself as a sluggard. Uh, sluggards are masters of excuses. Third characteristic, they are hopeless at completing things. Uh, the sluggard never gets anything done. Chapter 26, verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. What a sad picture that is. He doesn't even have the commitment to complete the action of feeding himself. He'd rather enjoy his laziness than the food that, to be frank, somebody probably cooked for him. The sluggard is the sort of person that starts a million projects and never finishes a single one of them. Can you picture somebody who's starting to meet this description? Uh, I've got a confession to make. Uh, when I was a teenager in high school, my parents had a nickname for me. Uh, they used to call me Gunner Roberts, and that was because anytime they would ask me to do something, I'd say, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to clean my room. I'm going to get that work done. Gunner Roberts. That was what my parents called me for years and years. Mark Twain, the author, once said, you should never put off to tomorrow what you can put off until the day after tomorrow. And that was my attitude as a teenager. I was a sluggard. I was somebody who was forever postponing and, and putting off what needs to be done today. That's the sluggard, hopeless at completing things. Fourth characteristic, final one we're going to look at. The sluggard is a proud fool. Chapter 26, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. In other words, the sluggard always thinks they know best. The sluggard is the person that laughs at their friend who's working really hard because the sluggard thinks that they have found the key to getting everything that they want in life without any of that nasty exertion that everybody else seems to be engaging in. And the sluggard has got a blind spot here, right? He's a fool and he doesn't know it. He's lazy, but he doesn't think that anything's wrong. Hinged to my bed? No, 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 no. I'm just not at my best in the mornings. <laughs> Master of excuses? No, 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 no. I'm just a realist. 
hopeless at getting things done. No, no, that's not me. I just like to have lots of plates spinning at once. He's a proud fool, and he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't realize how lazy he is. And so that's, that's the sluggard. That's the sluggard that we meet in Proverbs. Somebody who wastes away their life, shirking responsibility, avoiding anything that might cause them discomfort, that might resemble hard work, only ever thinking about their immediate circumstances, their immediate gratification, and never the long term. That's the sluggard. And as you look at that picture, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of funny it's a bit exaggerated. Clearly, God's word is you know, playing this up a little bit here because this would never actually describe a real person. Nobody actually lives like that, do they? This is hyperbole, perhaps, you're thinking. It's not me that this is describing. Well, can I just challenge you and tell you to press pause on that thought for a minute? Before you dismiss this as having no relevance for you, I, I want to try and kind of press into this with you and, and help you to see that I, I think actually this probably describes you more than you realise, describes me more than I realise. I reckon that many of us, and I perhaps even say most of us, are selectively sluggardly. We are sometimes sluggards. In some areas of our life, we choose to avoid responsibilities, we make excuses, we fail to follow through on our commitments, and we don't even realise how much of a problem that is. This does describe us, I reckon, in a lot of ways. Let me give you some statistics that might help you to sort of connect the dots here in your life. I was doing some research this week on social media usage in Australia. Here are some facts for you. The average Australian checks their social media accounts 17 times a day. 17 times a day. Now look, there's probably some of you who are sitting there tonight and thinking, all right, finally I'm above average at something. Isn't that great? If you're above average, above 17, hey, don't be proud of that, okay? 17 times a day on average. We break that down, that means that the, the average user, and this is, this is the lower end of the, the estimates that I was able to research this week, the average social media user spends 50 minutes a day, 5-0, 50 minutes a day just in the Facebook ecosystem. That's Facebook, Messenger, and Instagram, mostly accessing it on their phones. 50 minutes a day, you do the maths on that, that's almost six hours a week. That's almost 13 full days a year spent just on those social media platforms. And actually, the numbers are a lot higher than that if you happen to fall into the 14 to 24 age bracket. I'm sorry to break that for you. The numbers roughly double if you fall into that age bracket. And all the indications that the research is saying is that those numbers are just going to keep going up. Now, look, consider that and, and realize that that's not even taking into account all of the other ways that we use our phones to distract us, right? The games that we play, the videos that we watch, the news articles that we read, whatever else it might be, just, just looking at the way we interact with social media, you would have to say that that fits the description of a sluggard, wouldn't you? The, the sluggard is hinged to his bed. How many of us would admit that our phones are more or less glued to our hands? The sluggard is a master of excuses. Well, how easily do we find ourselves justifying taking a look at our newsfeed for the 20th time that day? The sluggard is hopeless at completing things. Hands up if you were distracted from doing a task this week because a latest notification or a ping came through on your phone and you just had to check it. Right, look, I'm not trying to, uh, to condemn social media here. I'm pro-social media. I use it. It can be a good tool. It can be used for the glory of God. 
but the reality is that for many people, the use of social media is, is explicitly for the purpose of avoiding the immediate responsibilities that you have right in front of you. You use social media to seek out short-term pleasure of just finding that, you know, the next great meme that you might get a chuckle out of. You use social media for that empty gratification of having your status update liked. And if that's not sluggardly, then I don't really know what is. Is that you? Are you being selectively sluggardly in the way that you're using social media? Hey, maybe it's not you. Maybe that doesn't describe you. You're sitting there feeling very proud of yourself right now. Maybe you're not even on social media. Good for you if that's the case. But maybe your problem is in a different area of life. Maybe your problem is in the area of your work. I was doing some research this week into the uh, issue of time theft. Time theft is the idea of employees being paid for work that they never completed, being overpaid for the hours that they work, essentially. And that can be uh, quite deceptive and deliberate. It can be employees filling out timesheets and saying that they worked more hours than they ever did. But it can actually be a bit more subtle than that. It can just be taking longer breaks than you're contractually obligated to take. It can be using your work time for personal activities. And in the research that I was reading, uh, one study estimated that the average employee steals four and a half hours a week from their employer. Four and a half hours a week from their employer. When they did the maths on this, uh, at least in the US, they realized that that meant that 20% of every dollar that every company earned was lost because of time theft. It's a big issue. Let me ask you, are you being sluggardly in your work? Are you avoiding responsibilities, avoiding discomfort, and choosing instead the easy, lazy option? I reckon more of us are sluggardly than perhaps we first realize. And, and to be completely honest about this, there are real consequences to this. Uh, choosing to be lazy, choosing to bludge, it's not a victimless crime. There are real consequences about this, and God's word is clear about them. Proverbs is clear about them. What, is it, what does Proverbs say is the consequence for being lazy, for being sluggardly? Well, first and foremost, somehow, Proverbs says that the first thing you're going to find if you're lazy is boredom. Ironically, for all of the searching that you engage in for fulfillment and happiness when you bludge off, what it actually results in is coming away empty-handed. Let's take a look at Proverbs 13, verse 4. Proverbs 13, verse 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Isn't that ironic? For all of the, the Proverbs searching after what they want in life, they come away empty-handed. Their, their soul just craves and craves and craves more, but it gets nothing. What does a sluggard find in their laziness? It finds emptiness. It finds boredom. And we know that, don't we? We don't need God's word to tell us that because let's be honest here, nobody in the history of the human race has finished a 13-hour Netflix binge and said to themselves, gosh, you know, that was my shining moment right there. You know, that just gave me everything that I was looking for in life. I'm so glad that I spent my whole day doing that. Nobody has ever said that, have they? Nobody gets to the end of scrolling on their Facebook newsfeed for an hour and thinks, gosh, that was the right choice to make. I, I, that scratched the itch that I felt going into this. Nobody does that. Because being a sluggard, being lazy, it leaves you feeling empty, doesn't it? It leaves you feeling bored. It leaves you longing for more. 
And friends, that, that boredom that you feel, that I know that you know what that feels like, that boredom, that's just kind of the surface level emotion that's actually probably masking something much deeper and much more serious. That boredom often sits over the top of feelings of emptiness, feelings of, of kind of being adrift in life. There was a word in the English language, it's sort of fallen out of use now, it's the word called acedia. We don't really use that word anymore, but it describes a very deep, very deep feeling of being unsettled in life, of having no purpose in life. And for many people who, who use laziness to retreat into a little cocoon to shield themselves from the real world, it's an attempt to hide away from that feeling, that very confronting kind of feeling of emptiness. But the irony that Proverbs says is that it's just going to make it worse. You go searching for fulfillment in laziness, you're only going to find emptiness. You know what else Proverbs says that you will find if you engage in being a sluggard? Blasphemy. Sluggards are blasphemous. Blasphemy is, is, is uh, speaking sacrilegiously about God. Now, how, how can that be? How can being lazy be such an offence to God? Well, think about this. God has created us for himself, hasn't he? He has created us to know him and to relate to him, to have our hearts thrilled by him. He has created us so that we would give ourselves in love to him, that we would serve him with every moment of our days. That is the type of person that God has created us to be. And so the sluggard who is bored, you know what they're saying? They're saying God is boring. I don't want God. God's not worthy of my attention, my pursuit. I'm not going to find fulfillment in throwing myself towards God. I'm going to instead find things that are really going to satisfy my soul. That's the statement that the sluggard is making. So a sluggard, you see, they have no reverence for God. They don't fear God. They don't, they're not able to say with the psalmist, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for you, God. When can I go and meet with you, God? A sluggard cannot say that because they don't believe that. They don't believe that God will be the deepest satisfaction of their soul. Friends, I wonder what would happen for you, just as an experiment, if every time you were tempted to take out your phone and see what's happening on Facebook, instead you opened up your Bible and you heard from God. What do you think would happen? What do you think would happen if every time you were tempted to just tune out and digest as much Netflix as you can take, Instead, you kept the TV off and you spent time talking to your heavenly father. Again, let me be clear here. There's nothing wrong with those things. Facebook and Netflix, they're good in moderation. But as a culture, we are gorging ourselves on distractions. And Christians are guilty of it too. And too often, it's at the expense of intimacy with God. Friends, you see, the God of the universe is inviting us to himself. And too often, we think that we would be more satisfied going down a YouTube rabbit hole than relating to the God who is in heaven. And if you live in a state like that, that is blasphemy. It's speaking sacrilegiously about God. Boredom and blasphemy, those are the results of this kind of a lifestyle. They're serious consequences, aren't they? And that, that is why, that makes sense of why the book of Proverbs has such a strong warning to the sluggard. Remember we read that in uh, chapter 24. Let's read it again. 
chapter 24. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns and thistles had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs says the sluggard gets what they deserve. That minute by minute, day by day, with every small sluggardly decision they make, a little folding of the hands, a little sleep, a little slumber, it's all it takes. As time and time again, the sluggard chooses the easy option, the soft option, weeds begin to grow up in their garden. And before they can do anything about it, the walls are in ruin, the garden is overgrown. It's a pretty obvious metaphor what it's talking about here, isn't it? It's the life of a sluggard being in ruin for accumulation of all the decisions that they've made along the way. And what is so scary about this warning is just how easy it is to make sluggardly decisions, right? Because falling into laziness, being a sluggard, it doesn't require anything of you. If you want to go and pursue some other sort of vice, you've got to do something. You've got to get up off your couch. You want to be a glutton? You've got to go and make an effort to procure some food, right? You want to engage in lust? You've got to go find an object to lust after. You want to be lazy? You don't need any help at all. You can be lazy anywhere, anytime, because laziness is nothingness. It's avoiding meaningful responsibility. And so there is just an endless supply of opportunities to be lazy. And that is scary. So friends, we need to hear this warning, don't we? Because the sluggard, they're just an ordinary person like you and I who have made one too many excuses, one too many refusals, one too many postponements. And it's all just been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. That's a pretty sobering picture, isn't it? There's some good news, friends. Proverbs doesn't, that's not the entirety of what Proverbs says about the sluggard, but it's important that we feel the weight of this before we can then start to consider what to do about it. Proverbs does have some positive things to say to the sluggard as well. So let's read from chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. Chapter 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The teacher in the book of Proverbs, he wants the sluggard to look at the ant, consider his ways, consider that the, the ant doesn't have a ruler standing over the top of it, cracking a whip, telling it what to do, and yet it just possesses this God-given wisdom to work, to make provision for its future. The ant never chooses the soft option, the lazy option. The ant is always responsible, doing what it needs to do, right? And there's some real humor in this, sadly, as well. The teacher in the book of Proverbs is saying to the sluggard, hey, you know that, that tiny creature that there are billions of that you step on every day and you don't even pay attention to? That thing has more wisdom than you do as a sluggard. That is a tragedy. But do you, do you realize, though, that the fact that these verses are here, the fact that this call is being made to the sluggard, that this is good news because it tells us that there's hope, yeah? There is hope for the sluggard to become wise, to change their ways, to learn diligence. And that's the key word, diligence. Because as you read the book of Proverbs, there is a, a, a counter person to the sluggard. It's the diligent person. You see them crop up time and time again throughout the book. They are the complete opposite 
of the sluggard. So in chapter 10, for instance, you read how sluggards are a disgrace to their family, but the diligent are wise sons. In chapter 12, you read that diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. And so Proverbs, you see, by setting up this contrast, by calling us to consider the ways of the diligent, it's saying, sluggard, change your ways. Don't be lazy anymore. Be diligent. Follow their example. Learn to do what they are doing. Be honest. Be deliberate. Think about the long-term consequences of your decisions. Be be thoughtful. Be self-controlled. That's the diligent life. And the rest of the Bible, and the New Testament especially, picks up on this, this image of the diligent life. And it says that that is the life that God's people are to live. You know, the New Testament says the pattern of the Christian life is work hard, be responsible, don't overindulge. That's just the diligent life in a nutshell, isn't it? That's the pattern that we should pursue. So, if I finished my sermon here, closed up my Bible and walked off stage, would that be enough for you to hear tonight? Don't be a sluggard, be diligent. Is that enough for you? If you struggle with laziness, is being told, just work harder, pull your socks up, don't be so lazy, don't waste your time, think about the future. Does that, does that do it for you? Does that change you? Does that make you a diligent person? I don't think it does. Because even if you had the desire to be productive, to be a diligent person, then you will know, as well as I will, that just sheer willpower is not sufficient to change us, is it? can't do it. It's why all of our New Year's resolutions fail every single year. Anybody who struggles with laziness knows that. You can't just decide to become a diligent person. It doesn't work that way. And that is because, there's a theological reason why that's the case. The theological reason is because laziness has roots into our heart. And those roots go down deep. And actually, if you want to stop being a lazy person, then you've got to deal with what's going on in your heart at the deepest kind of level. It's not just a matter of learning some new time management techniques. It's not just a matter of cutting back on your chosen distraction of choice. Those are good things to do. That's a wise decision. Go ahead and do those things. But you've actually got to deal with your heart issue if you want to overcome laziness. And here's the truth of it. At the heart of the lazy person is selfishness. The lazy person is a selfish person. I I, I have to say this to you bluntly. If you are a lazy person, it's because you love yourself more than you love things outside of yourself. That's, That's the cold, hard truth of it. To be lazy is to be selfish. And that's a that's a problem, isn't it? That selfishness inside of us. Because we know that God's purpose for our lives is not just to be turned inward on ourselves. We know that God's purpose for our lives is to be outward focused, yeah? God created us for relationship with him, for relationship with each other, for stewarding this world that God has created. But the lazy person does not like that purpose, the outward focus of it. They selfishly just want to turn their time and their energy and their intentions inwardly on themselves. They want to meet their own needs, satisfy their own appetites, serve themselves in the attempt to make themselves comfortable. And so you see, what's really going on is that the sluggard has rejected God's purpose on their life. Because all of those responsibilities out there, being outward focused, well, that just sounds really demanding, doesn't it? 
sounds really limiting, really burdensome, and I just think I'd be much happier if I was freer and unencumbered and I could just spend all my time looking out for number one. That's what the lazy person is actually saying. So do you see that it's, it's this warped, kind of selfish perspective that has to be fixed if you want to overcome your laziness, you want to live a life of diligence and purpose. You have to have your heart fixed. Now, how does that happen? How do we change our hearts so that we are no longer consumed by love for ourselves and instead we overflow with love to others? How does that happen? The answer is really simple. It's really simple. It's that we need to have an encounter with the self-sacrificial love of God in the gospel. That's what will change you. You have an encounter with the self-sacrificial love of God in the gospel. Right? That, that gospel message, that good news of God sending his son in the most radically other person-centered gesture in history, when you, when you grasp that good news, that will melt the heart of the selfish person. Remember how the Apostle Paul describes the gospel in Philippians chapter 2? It's that great passage. Says, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, being made, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see what, what Paul is saying there is that Jesus, he put his father, he put us, he put this world before himself. Jesus was no sluggard. Jesus was diligent in the service of others. He humbled himself. He served others. He gave up everything. He worked. He sweat. He bled for our good, to secure our good, to secure our forgiveness. That is the love that we know if we are Christians. And it's a love which changes us. It's a love that makes selfishness impossible. Do you remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It's that point where the Apostle Paul is explaining and justifying why he has spent the entirety of his, his life since he met Jesus, just pouring himself out in the service of other people. And this is what he says. It's going to come up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, it's just inconceivable to Paul here that somebody who knows the love of God would live for themselves. It's inconceivable. How can you possibly put your own needs before the needs of others when you are full of the self-sacrificial love of God, when that is living in your heart? How can you possibly put your own needs before the needs of others when you serve a servant king who put everybody's needs before his own? How can you possibly put your own needs before others when you realize that you are no longer your own, that the blood of Jesus has bought you at the greatest price? You don't belong to yourself anymore. How can you put your needs before the needs of others? You can't. If you are a gospel Christian, you cannot do that. Christ's love compels us to live for something outside of ourselves. That is the inescapable logic of the gospel, friends. Have you understood that? 
that loved people, love people. That saved people, serve people. That found people, find people. That is the inescapable logic of the gospel. And so the the truth is that if you do not love people and you do not serve people and you are not trying to find people, then perhaps you've not really understood the gospel. But look, I'm not, I'm not trying to pull a rug of assurance out from your feet here. I know that there are many in this room who know and trust in Jesus and who've accepted his gospel. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means that whenever we, as born-again Christians, fall into the trap of laziness, that what's going on is that we are suffering from gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia. We are forgetting the love of God. And the remedy is to be reminded of it. That's, that's the solution, to be reminded of the love of God. If you want to avoid the blasphemy and the boredom of laziness, then you need to drink deeply from the gospel. You need to dwell in the gospel. You need to meditate on the gospel, and God will grow a passion in you for greater things than just killing time, than just serving yourself. When you comprehend the love of God in the gospel, then he will turn you outward. He will turn you from being somebody who invests only in themselves, serves only themselves, to being somebody like your saviour who puts the needs of others before themselves. You will no longer be a selfish person. You will no longer be a lazy person. You will spend your life for a greater purpose. And I think that that is something worth aiming for. Why don't we pray together? Lord God, we want to confess tonight that in too many ways, and in ways that we don't even yet recognize, we have been sluggardly. We have been lazy. We have lived for ourselves. We have failed to put you and others and this world before our own preferences. And God, we are sorry for that short-sightedness. We are sorry for the blasphemy of thinking that you are boring. God, please would you forgive us through the death of Jesus. And God, please would you transform us. God, we want to be compelled by your love, to be driven outward, to give our whole lives in the service of others in your name. And so God, please just give us a fresh vision of the gospel tonight. Please, by your spirit, would you help us to see the magnificence of the love that you have shown us in Christ, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death on a cross for us. God, please melt our our hard hearts. Make us soft and receptive to you. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen.